0: And uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Today we start a new series called Vertical, uh, Get Vertical. What are we talking about with that? And I want to demonstrate for you uh, just a minute of why I think we need this. I just want to ask you some questions. I want you to think back on your day so far today, All right. Just think back on your day so far, when did you get up, what, what'd you go through, how'd your day go so far? Um, I want you to think specifically now to the moments you walked in the door. You arrived on campus, you walked in the door and here's the question, what were you thinking about? What was consuming your thoughts in that moment? Or when you came into this room, What what was overwhelming to you? What was your consuming thought? Was it, was it something behind you this week? Was it, um, you know, something that happened this week? Maybe some bad news. Uh, maybe some good news. And you were fired up. Uh, was it a big decision you had to make? Or that was made for you? Was it all the things you accomplished? Or maybe, like me, all the things I didn't accomplish this week? <laughs> that I wanted to accomplish. Maybe you're new today, and the only thing you could think about uh, coming into this place was how horrible it went the last time you visited a church. Maybe it's something from your past that was consuming you, but maybe it wasn't something behind you. Maybe it was uh, something or someone beside you. Is it, you know... um, Like right now, like a conflict with the person you're sitting next to, or down the row from, or maybe just great anxiety about something or someone today? Or was it something ahead of you? Is it like, you know, looking ahead at this afternoon, all the things you still have to accomplish today. And I I don't know if I have time to even be here because I got so many other things to take care of. You're already checked out, you're planning your afternoon. You're thinking about where you're gonna get lunch today. You're thinking about, is he going to be done in time so I can get to lunch on time today? (laughs) Right? Is it a decision or a conflict or something you have to face this week? What was that consuming thought when you walked in today? Or maybe thoughts, plural. Was it that or or did you have your mind set on meeting Jesus Christ this morning? Now I would guess that, that The vast majority, if not all of us, if we're brutally honest, there were a lot of those other thoughts that really consumed us today as we came in this room. And it demonstrates the simple fact that that so often we're always focused horizontally. Those are horizontal things. Those are things on, on the plane of life as it is today. And they're important things. They're not unimportant but, but I want to commend to you over the next next few weeks here that uh, horizontal things are unending. They matter, but they're not fulfilling. And if you, if you spend all your time focused on the horizontal, you're going to miss the transcendence of Jesus Christ and what he really has for you. And as a church, we're going to miss it. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of um, horizontal things going on in our church. A lot of good things. Really good things. But, but more important is that we turn our attention vertical. So I'm going to be honest, like the last last few weeks, last month or so, um, really few months for me, have been some of the busiest in my life in terms of just extra responsibilities piled on top of stuff. Um, I, I just started making a list, just consuming. Uh, I just did, used one word, leading, worship, the uh, 30 for 30, counseling, mentoring, death. Uh, finances, health issues, family, teaching, anxiety. And then on top of that, I to squeeze in somehow 15 to 20 hours to preach, to prepare to preach. I'm not gonna preach for 15 to 20 hours, don't hear that. (laughs) Some of you got really scared when I said that. Um, And I don't say that to make you feel sorry for me at all, but because I know that you've got a list just like it. You've got a list just like it that's just as long, if not longer, until the end of this week, I feel like my brain has been failing, me. I just for, keep forgetting about certain things, and you know what the truth is, though? The one, I, I've got too much going on, but second, my eyes are, are, are too often focused horizontally and not vertically. Because a glimpse, just a glimpse of who Jesus Christ really is, changes everything. Do you believe that? I'm going to show you from God's word today. And um, I just ask you that question here before we pray and get going. What is it that's consuming you? Are you able to just set that aside for a moment for the next half hour and just let's get a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is? Amen? All right, let me pray and then we'll dive into God's word. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Lord, I confess that uh, my thoughts are way too often on the here and now and not Jesus on you. I think about you, I pray to you, I study your word, but, but in terms of just sitting and delighting in who you are, I don't do it enough. I'm not, I'm not gripped enough with, with who you really are. Would you show yourself to us today in a powerful way from your word? Jesus, help us as a church to turn our eyes vertical and to get a glimpse of your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, so God promises joy and peace. Do you believe that? Yeah, I totally believe that. I hope you believe that. His word promises it. But isn't it true that, like, sometimes we don't always seem to experience that. Instead, we get... We get busy again kind of looking at all the horizontal, and we don't totally experience that. And I wonder why. Why is that? I think it's because, you know, we rightly delight in the fact that God is gracious and loving and kind and personal and relational with us. But sometimes at the expense of his, as I said before, his transcendence, of his power, of his eternality, of his, of his utter holiness and differentness than us. And when we, when we fail to spend time really examining that, then uh, when we look up horizontally and we delight in these other things, we, we pray to him, we ask him for help, but then he doesn't come through, or, or worse, we don't feel like maybe he ever really could because we've, we've crafted a vision of him that's only on this level and not really who he is. His holiness is is how the Bible describes it. I wonder what's your memory of the word holy. When's the first time you can remember hearing about holiness, or even just the term holy? Can you can you come up with a time? I grew up in uh, in this really traditional Lutheran church, and it was out in the corn, surrounded by cornfields out in the country in Iowa, just like this church. And uh, but it was is much different though. I mean, it was it was kind of traditional. You know, it was a long, narrow. Uh, Uh, sanctuary, I guess you'd call it, and and two rows of pews and a long aisle and a big wooden pulpit up front and stained glass windows. And in the very back, like up in the balcony up above, there there was an organ, like this huge pipe organ, you know, and it was playing. And uh, if I think of kind of maybe my first thought of the word holy in terms of me growing up, it kind of was this big fanfare on the organ. And then then there was like, you know, just it held this one note for a really long time. And it seemed like it just kept getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And like that was, that was the cue. All of a sudden everybody stands up and they look at the number on the board up front and they open up their hymnal to holy, holy, holy. And everybody starts singing. You know that song, right? How's it go? Holy, 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 Lord God almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. And just think, you know, you had this big organ playing and everybody kind of bellowing it out. And you're a little kid looking up like, oh, wow, this is cool. What's it for you? What's your first memory of the term holy or holiness? Is it stuffiness? Is it uh, thwarting uh, your your plans for your life, because you have to live up to all these rules. Maybe it's, maybe it's the thought of some people who declared themselves to be holy, but really, they're not. But they like to point out how unholy everybody else is. God's holiness, as it's revealed in scripture, it's the primary and defining attribute of his character. It's the very essence of who he is. You know, I don't know about you, but I tend to start with God is love. God is gracious, you know where God starts? <laughs> I am holy. So that's great, but what is it? What is holiness? What is God's holiness? It, holy means to be set apart, that's the term. It means set apart, it means other, it means different, it means um, entirely separate. That's what holy means. And so when, it's, when we start off, you know, that God is holy, uh, w- what God is telling us is that I'm, I love you, but I'm not like you. I'm different. We, we kind of tend to think of like this order of created things, you know, like from, uh, from the worms that crawl around in the dirt and you move yourself up to, you know, higher in life forms and up to us. And maybe there's angels and then God's at the top of this, you know, this kind of chart. And and that's good in terms of, of, of showing his authority. But you know what the reality is? He doesn't belong on the chart. He is totally other. He's holy. And I would commend to you that a glimpse, just a glimpse of his holiness, of his glory, changes everything. Just a peek at it. And Isaiah is a guy in the Old Testament who had a vision where God displayed his glory. God displays his glory a number of times in Scripture. But, but one of the most profound is in Isaiah chapter 6. So you can either turn there in your own Bible if you like or on your insert. That, that's all you've got this morning is a copy of God's word there. And you can follow along, mark it up, make some notes. Uh, but let's look at this because in Isaiah 6, <coughs> excuse me, God gives Isaiah a small peek into his throne room. He gets a glimpse of God's holiness and his glory in a way that no one has ever seen. And guess what happened when he did? He was rocked. Like to the core. He he was absolutely rocked. And friends, if we're going to move from horizontal to vertical, this is... This is what we need. We need to see God like Isaiah sees him here in chapter 6. In all of his glory, see Jesus for who he really, truly is. So let's start there in verse 1 of chapter 6. It starts off, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. How's that for a name? I never met anybody named Uzziah, have you? It's kind of a fun name. Uzziah, to you, and, to you and I, you might read that at first and you think, oh, big deal. You know, he's one of the kings. Okay, cool. So he's dead. He's gone. He's been gone a long time. But for Isaiah in his day, this was a big deal. The year was about 740 B.C. And uh, to Isaiah's original readers and to him, this, this date marked the end of an era when Uzziah died. Uh, we're told about Uzziah uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. So I'm going to read there. If you want to turn there with me, you can. But if not, you can just listen. Here's what it tells us about Uzziah. It says, uh, and all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. 16. Anybody here 16? You have any 16-year-olds with us today? Right there, Alex, you're 16. King Uzziah, how you doing, buddy? All right, that's what your mom pointed out, so you can blame her. 16 years old, he becomes king. But now look at this. And made him king instead of his father. He built Eloth, he restored, restored to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Look at verse three. Uzziah was 16 years old and he began to reign and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. Now, this was the year he died, after reigning for 52 years. Go back to 1966 is 52 years ago. Imagine if someone had been president since 1966. Who, Who was president in 1966? I should have looked it up. Johnson? So imagine if he was still president. He'd be pretty old. But can you imagine, like, it, life was stable for that time? Because here's what it says about Isaiah. His, his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right, verse 4, in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And the next 10 verses just tell about how prosperous Uzziah was. And he won all kinds of wars. He developed um, all kinds of of machinery of war. Talks about things describing, it sounds like a catapult or some things that fired arrows. and, And he became incredibly powerful. God just continued to bless him as long as he sought him. But look at verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Seems to happen to a lot of people, doesn't it? You you get proud maybe in your power or in, in your uh, autonomy or whatever it is, and and you fall. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He became dependent on himself, basically, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar, incense on the altar of incense, which he shouldn't have done. That was a job for the priest. The priests come in and they're like, Uzziah, no, you can't do this. That's our job. Don't do this. And he got angry. He got so angry with them. He's like, What what are you talking? Get out of my, I'm going to do this. And then it says that the priest saw on his forehead, if you keep reading, these white sores break out. God struck him with leprosy. And he got sick. And I I believe it says here for the next, um, it says, Uzziah, now uh, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, verse 21. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. He dies a slow, painful, agonizing death because of his leprosy. And now uh, we're told by Isaiah, it's the year that this guy who had reigned forever and done so well, but now in his sin threw the entire nation into turmoil, and now he's died. This was a big deal. This was a marking point um, in the history of Israel, and in the midst of all this confusion, God calls Isaiah to be His mouthpiece. And so, in the in the year that King Uzziah died, it says, "I saw the Lord." Now, you ever uttered those words? Those four words, "I saw the Lord." Those are some remarkable things to say, isn't it? I mean, for, for Isaiah to say this, I saw God, I saw the Lord. I mean, you, you, could, you would never be the same if you truly saw the Lord. Now, we're not told, you know, what the deal was, if he was dreaming or if he was awake or if he was transported somewhere. It's just that he went into the throne room, went to the temple, he saw the Lord. God gave him a vision. He was supernaturally allowed to see the throne room of God. Now notice in your text, it says, uh, is Lord capitalized? The L probably is, but are all four letters? No. Do you know most translations, uh, just something to help you here. If if you're reading the Old Testament and it says Lord in all capital letters, that, that, that means it's referencing the Hebrew personal name for God, Yahweh. Well, in this case, it's not all four capital letters. The ESV does this, uh, as do a number of other translations. It's it's capital L, lowercase O-R-D. And so it's a reference not to uh, the personal name of God, Yahweh, but to his position as the one who's who's on the throne, ruling, reigning, Lord, king. Isaiah is just saying, like, "I, I saw the sovereign, man. I saw the ruler of everything. And by the way, the Lord here, do you know who it is? It's Jesus Christ. You're like, hold on. I don't know a lot about my Bible, but I know Jesus like showed up in the New Testament, right? So what's he doing in Isaiah? What are you talking about here? Well, um... First off, we know it is because in John, in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 41, says Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. John tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus is God, friends. He's eternal. He's always existed. And he shows up multiple times in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, you'll see him referenced as the angel of the Lord. And then you can tell by context if it's Jesus or not. So, uh, by the way, the burning bush, guess who speaks to Moses from the burning bush? Sunday school answer. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus is the angel of the Lord in the burning bush speaking to Moses. We'll probably get to that passage at some point in the series. I'll show you why I believe that. And then you see him again leading the people out of Egypt. You see him appear to Joshua in Joshua chapter five. The the commander of the Lord's army shows up to Joshua with sword in hand, Joshua freaks out, falls on his face before him and worships him. Now any other time that there's an angel or a person that someone worships and it's not God, immediately they say, get up, I'm not God. He doesn't do that to Joshua. Joshua worships him and, and he says to him, he says, so are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, no. In other words, I'm wholly other. I'm different. I'm, the, I'm God. And Jesus shows up to Joshua. And he shows up multiple times throughout the Old Testament. And he shows up here in Isaiah chapter 6. John confirms it. So if you doubt me, just if, then you're, you're doubting what the apostle John tells us in the gospel of John. So Jesus shows up. In the Old Testament here, that's who Isaiah is seeing in this vision. I saw the Lord. You, you could change it. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus Christ. You know, there's a very similar account that happens to Isaiah's, Isaiah 6 and Matthew 17 with a few of the disciples. They go up the mount. Uh, they see Jesus transformed. They see his face glow white. And then uh, quickly a cloud covers him. And they hear the voice of God, and there's so many parallels. It's kind of a fun study if you want to do it. Look at Isaiah 6 and Matthew 17 side by side this week and compare the two. But Isaiah, in chapter 6, he's seeing Jesus. It couldn't have been the Father. John 1.18 says, no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father, he's declared him. See, the Father delights to exalt the Son. That's why we say it's all about who? Jesus. I think there's a very real possibility that uh, in heaven, and I I tend to be of this persuasion, the the only person of the Trinity that you and I will see is Jesus Christ. Now again, that open hand, I'm not gonna die for that one, but that's what I believe. Um, And the Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said, he'll only do what I tell him to do. He'll only speak of me. He, it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's who Isaiah is seeing. So look how he sees him. What's he doing? Uh, look at the next phrase. I, I, I saw the Lord. What's he doing? Sitting on a throne. Sitting. He's not pacing back and forth going, I don't know what's going to happen. I, don't know what I I don't know what to do. He's not pacing back and forth, he's sitting. He's not wringing his hands. Oh, I'm so anxious about this. What's what's gonna happen with the stock market? Uh, What's gonna happen in the elections? He's not struggling, he's not searching. Where is he? Tell me, what's he doing? Sitting. He's calm. He's collected, he's settled, he's secure. He's certain, why? He's in control. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry. He's in control. (laughs) Do you believe that? Man, when you get a glimpse of who Jesus is and you realize, eh, he's not worried. He's sitting on his throne, seated, in control. You're like, yeah, but even that thing that I'm going through, like, yes, he's got it. Yeah, but what about that? that, uh," Yeah, that too. He's in control, and he's seated with his feet up, not concerned. The earth is his footstool, we're told later in Isaiah. He's relaxed. How difficult could this problem be for God? Not at all. He saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and it wasn't just any throne. Where was this throne? What's the next phrase? High and lifted up. So it's not just any throne, it's like the throne high and lifted up, exalted. Uh, G- uh, Isaiah gets this vision of Jesus and it doesn't it doesn't sound at all to me like the the painting I remember on the wall in my Sunday school class as a kid. Does it to you? You know, the really kind, gentle Jesus with a little blush on his cheeks and Now, is Jesus gentle and kind? Yes, but he is also incredibly fierce. As Isaiah wrote, he's good. Or Isaiah, excuse me, as C.S. Lewis wrote, he's good, but he's not safe. And this is who Isaiah sees. In his ineffable glory, unapproachable light. The Bible says no one can see him and live. And look, at he keeps describing it. He's high and lifted up on this throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. The train of his robe. About the only time we ever see this today is at a wedding, like the train of a robe, right? Or, But every now and then, like in the coronation of some leader, they'll have a big train on their robe. and. Um, you can go back and look at, like, the coronation of somebody, uh, someone like the kings and queens of England and find photos and these long trains to their robe, and people had to carry them. But, but look at Jesus' robe, the train of his robe. It fills the temple. So it, it goes all the way down the aisle, and then it doubles back, and then it goes back again, and then it doubles back, and they're, they're, it just it fills the temple. Isaiah's getting a glimpse of who Jesus is, and he can't get past the hemline. Just imagine if his robe fills the temple, what about his presence? What about his glory? Isaiah just moves on. He's like, okay, well above him stood the seraphim. The seraphim are, uh, we don't really know much about them other than seraph means burning, burning one. And so seraphim, we add an S to our words to pluralize them. In Hebrew, you add im, I am in English. And so seraphim means plural. There were multiples of them. And it literally, that just means burning ones. And we're not given much of a description of them other than they're some type of servant to the one who's sitting on the throne. And they're huge and they're powerful. And they look, I mean, my guess is that that title is because that's the best way Isaiah could describe them. They were like these dudes on fire next to the throne. And they had six wings. They were unbelievably powerful. And with two of them, they, they covered their eyes. And with two, they covered their feet. And with the other two, they flew. They, they, were, they were constantly serving the one who's on the throne. But isn't it curious that of, of their six wings, four of them were in relation to the one who's on the throne, hiding themselves, and only two were used, two of the six, to actually do anything and serve. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Listen, they didn't act up in his presence. They only did exactly whatever he wanted them to do. And look at what, what they're saying to one another. You got that picture of him flying around? They, they start calling to one another. Now, what would you imagine them calling to one another? Whoa, there's Jesus. How cool is that? No, no, that's not what they say. What do they say? Something, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and and the whole time their wings flapping and serving him and it goes on and it goes on and it never ends and it goes on continually to this day sometimes you you ever you ever get frustrated sometimes if you're singing a song and like the the chorus repeats over and over and over and over well this has been repeating forever around jesus throne See, when there's something worth saying about God that's true, it's worth repeating. Holy. Let's just try that. Why don't you guys over here try it? Holy. Holy. That's, that's weak. Like, you yelled at the TV louder when Purdue, when that guy got the flag at the end of the game the other night. I know some of you did. Say with me. Come on. Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord. Now they called out, and from the other line over here, all the seraphim over here, what were they shouting? Holy! holy, holy. And then this side. Holy, holy, holy. And back and forth, and it just keeps going and going and going, declaring how incredible God is. And it's a whole lot louder than we were. I guarantee you. It never stops, it never ceases. You know, nowhere else in Scripture or nowhere in Scripture do we see an attribute um, repeated three times of someone other than of God and only of his holiness. See, in Hebrew, uh, you would repeat a word to emphasize it. So like if, if you would look at Isaiah chapter 26, it talks about uh, in, in him, you keep him, Lord, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say in perfect peace. It says, you keep him in peace, peace, him whose mind is stayed on you. It's repeated. You know, so it'd be like if uh, I ate a big lunch this week. If I was saying in the Hebrew, I'd say, I ate a lunch, lunch. You know? You just repeat it. But this is the only attribute repeated three times in scripture, and it's only ever repeated of God, of Jesus Christ, holy, holy, holy. Like the little kid who doesn't know, you know his suffixes and he says it's the bestest ever. Like that's just, it's just holy, holy, holy. Whole earth is full of his glory. And I look at verse 4. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. In other words, Isaiah made it about as far as the door frame. And it was shaking. As if don't, don't come in any near. And then it says, and the house was filled with smoke. He got a glimpse, then the house was filled with smoke. Now, why is it filled with smoke? Well, I think probably as an act of grace toward Isaiah so that he didn't uh, see God in his full glory and die. The same thing happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus for a moment, a glimpse of him beginning to shine and then a cloud and smoke descend to veil him from them. So just put yourself in Isaiah's spot, okay? You've just seen this, you're getting a vision of this. And by the way, it's in uh it says the foundation, the threshold of the of the temple, of the throne that shook. What had just happened in his life in the or in the temple? Smoke, but just think think back to the context a little bit to verse one. What, did, what had just happened? Uzziah died, and where did he get sick and what caused his death? when he went into the temple, into the presence of God where he shouldn't have been. And now this is happening to Isaiah. And he's standing, no, he's not standing anymore. He's on his face. And look what he says. We finally hear from Isaiah. Woe is me. The word woe uh, literally means that some kind of calamity has fallen on someone or something or it's about to Malachi says who can endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears In a very real sense Isaiah is just saying so that's God that's Jesus Christ I'm toast I'm done Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. David said in, in Psalm 130, if the Lord would keep track and mark all of my iniquities, all of man's iniquities, who could stand? Isaiah trembled, and he's on his face. In a moment, because of God's glory, He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I'm ruined. I'm filthy. Even my lineage is all filthy. I'm from a people of unclean. It's it's worthless in front of this holy God. Now he's there, and look at verse 6. Then it says, one of the seraphim flew to me. Who'd be freaking out about right now? You see this flaming one flying towards you. And look what it says. It says, he, he ha- having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. I'll I bet Isaiah thought for sure. Here we go. This is it. I'm toast. Let's just get it over with. Come on. Because here's the deal. God calls us to holiness like he is Holy. First 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, Peter writes, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, just as Jesus is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. For it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Isaiah knew in this moment with just a glimpse of who Jesus was, just up to the hem of his robe, that, that, that he was not holy. So the seraphim's coming, and it says, he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. This had to be shocking, the next thing that he says to Isaiah. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. For Isaiah to say, I'm a oh whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I wonder what, what would it be for you? What would what would come to your mind right away? Like, man, he knows that about me, he knows that struggle, he knows that sin, he knows that thing in my past. And the seraphim's coming with the and he touches you there with that coal and says, Your guilt is taken away. You're clean. You're forgiven. Because of anything you did? No. Because of God's holiness. See, if we started with God's love, it would be like, well, why why would He have to send His Son to die for us? But it doesn't start with His love, it starts with His holiness. And his holiness demands a punishment, which in his love then compels him to send his son to die for you and to die for me. This king who Isaiah sees seated on the throne would be the one who would put on flesh, come to earth, live as a man, a perfect life that you and I can never live and never will, and die the death that I deserve on the cross. And touch my lips and say, You're clean. You're forgiven. Friends, until you see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, it's hard to get a grasp over uh, his holiness and the the wrath I deserve for sin and the incredible riches of his grace when he forgives. I'm going to close with one other description of Jesus from John, and then we're going to sing together as we close this morning. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at right responses then to Jesus' glory. It says in, John, in Revelation chapter one, verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God. See John, in the testimony of Jesus, John was, was uh, up there in years at this point, And according to tradition, um, John, uh, well, Jesus told John he would live a, a, a long life and die in his old age, but he didn't tell him it would be easy. John, uh, according to church tradition, uh, was uh, speaking so much about Jesus, nobody could shut him up. And so in in the opposition he faced, uh, there were some people who decided to have a party, and they had this big cauldron of oil. And the entertainment for the evening was to try and shut John up by putting him in this cauldron. And they put him in to boil him alive. Cheers. And then John creeps out. And with these burns all over his body, they couldn't kill him, they couldn't shut him up, so they exile him to this desolate island called Patmos. Whether that exact account is 100% true or not, I don't know. Um, but that's, one of the, that's the, the primary account of how he ended up on Patmos. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Remember, Isaiah said that the voice of the one who called, it shook the foundations. And he said, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Then I turned, uh, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, lines up with what Isaiah said, and a golden sash around his chest. I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last. This is Jesus Christ. If you haven't turned to him, woe to you. Trust him. And if you have, let's let's get our attention vertical to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Amen? Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for uh, your grace to us through Him. Thanks for His power and His all-surpassing glory. Holy, holy, holy is He. Lord, it's incredible that in in the very midst of Isaiah seeing Jesus seeing you for who you are, you showed him grace when that could have and could have rightfully been the end for him. You showed him grace and goodness and mercy. And for us too, Jesus, as we see you for who you are, it motivates us to live in a way that's right, but it also amplifies and exalts the glory, Jesus, of what you've done and accomplished for us. May you turn our attention vertical and all the horizontal things will come into focus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.